Welcome to the Peak Provider NDIS podcast. My name is Chris Hall, your host, and today I've got Anthony Rice with me. Now, Anthony is one of the co-founders of People Partners BPO. Um, so for, for the layperson out there, if you haven't heard the term BPO, um, you might understand it as offshoring. Um, and Anthony and I met just last week and we had some really fascinating conversations around the, the question mark of can you do offshoring in the NDIS? Does it work? What, well, you know, what would people be asking about? Um, and what are some of the benefits? So I thought rather than, you know, uh, delaying, I just wanted to whip Anthony onto the uh, onto the podcast and invite him on and have a chat about that. So Anthony Rice from People Partners at BPO, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate uh, having me and allowing me to add some value to your audience. I think today is going to be a lot of fun and hopefully very valuable as well. Yeah, absolutely, mate. So, I mean, look, the thing is, is that back in my IT days and um, when I used to work for Accenture, um, you know, we did IT projects and we had development teams and project teams around the world. So um, we'd have the dev team in, in Mumbai and we'd have the, and the, and the, and the team in Manila. And for Accenture in particular, they had a huge office in Manila in the Philippines. And, you know, so I'm very kind of comfortable and used to the idea of, of the offshore BPO model because I've, I've lived and breathed it through the IT uh, you know, stage. And we, I want to break it all down in, in our conversation today, but just to kind of get the, the, the straight away, the interest, shall we say, um, of NDIS providers that may be listening to this, can you give us an idea about how much money an NDIS business could potentially save in terms of wage costs um, if they were to do something like this? Yeah, 100%. So we'll, as you said, we'll dig into all manner of outsourcing and offshoring and, and some of the ways that people partners differ to other BPOs. But as a rule, by using, and, and you said the Philippines, so Manila, that's also where we're based. Um, we're an outsourcing and offshoring company first and a, a, a Manila um, advocate second, but we've always found what we've needed to support our clients for 11 years focusing on the Philippines. So because of that, the cost of living is different. So um, all of the team members that we would recruit and employ for you, you should be able to enjoy somewhere between 65 to 80% an average of 70% salary reduction on any given role. So 70% reduction is a good rule of thumb to the savings that your business would enjoy. That's huge. So like I had a quick look at your website, saw some of the indicative um, you know, salary examples, right? And of course it will vary by role, it will vary by experience. Um, and uh, you know, one of the things that caught my eye, I, my eye is that you could have someone that's either at the grad level, a couple of years experience, and then also like five plus years experience plus having a graduate degree at that upper end of skill set with someone that's, you know, done corporate, done this work before, has a degree. Um, you know, I was very impressed to see figures such as only $20,000, 20 Australian dollars a year um, to have a, a resource in your team covering whatever the role is. You know, that that's crazy good. Um, and again, like a, a lady that I used to work with in another business, um, her virtual assistant, she was based in Pakistan, but she was basically yeah. at the, the 2IC. She was the second in charge of the business and the business wouldn't have run without her. So, you know, I, go, I suppose like one of the, the fallacies I'd like to address off the bat is that it's not about having a low skilled person, is it? No, no. In fact, I think let's let's meander and weave and see where this conversation takes us. But that's exactly right. Like, you know, in our organization, my most, you know, you know let's my onshore staff will probably be listening to this. But without a doubt, my offshore staff are the most valuable staff members um, that that we have. And we, we drink our own Kool-Aid. So over, over the years, you know, pretty much all people partner staff are now 
based in the Philippines, all of our support staff, et cetera. And as a result of that, staffing ranges from people that are the most low um, beginning team members starting at data entry all the way to uh, marketing, social media marketing, HR, IT, cybersecurity, et cetera. And the same with our clients. So it doesn't have to do a skill set. It's just another place. So I often say, if your team members are working remotely in Bendigo, Ballarat or Brisbane, it doesn't mm -hmm. make a difference if they're working 4,000 kilometres down the corridor in Manila. It's exactly the same. And we will recruit a people partners, whatever role makes sense for the organisation, whether it's a, a marketing manager that worked at Google and IBM uh, before they worked for you, of which case that will come at a higher price tag mm -hmm. versus someone that is just straight out of university and will be doing um, phone reception or will be doing data entry or um, you know, on-call phone, whatever is needed. And we'll break into some of those roles today, but absolutely, it's just like Australia. Experience levels differ um, mm -hmm. for any role and therefore the remuneration will differ, but you will look to enjoy that 70% discount at the least in, a, in terms of Australian wages. So. Definitely. Now, my honest opinion is that I think with, with any option, there's going to be certain roles where this kind of option and strategy will be best served, right? You know, because... Um, if I can call out maybe an elephant in the room, a fear and anxiety that some providers might have, it's that perhaps um, for certain, it depends on the company, the culture, your, your customer base, et cetera, for certain audiences, there might be a problem in terms of customer-facing customer roles. And the reason I say that, and I must be clear, this is coming from a, this is not my view of the world, it's more like how might my customers think. Um, we kind of do live in a world now where everyone is used to um, unfortunately, their mobile phone has somehow got out to the entire world. And usually sometime between 5 and 7 p.m., we get a phone call from a Melbourne number or a Sydney number, and it's talking about, you know, all the stuff that you don't want to hear about as you're trying to get the kids to bed, whether it be the new federal thing for the new hot water boiler, um, you know, or the solar scheme or whatever. And, and the point I'm making here, um, amongst the lightheartedness of this, is that it often does sound like it's a call center and it's a foreign accent, right? So it, yeah. this is literally nothing against the people and where they come from and all that. It's not about that. I'm talking about the cultural response to the average Australian. Um, and we just got to be cognizant of that, right? So, um, gosh, it's a bit of a hard one, like, because I'm the, I'm the most multicultural person on the planet, but I have to be like really honest within myself as a business coach and say, you know, maybe I'm thinking hypothetically here, this is something for providers to reflect on themselves. It's not, I can't answer this. You know, would your NDIS participants or the family members or the support coordinators, would they go, wait a minute, have they just, you know, had a call center? You know, they, do they want the Aussie accent for certain roles, whether it be sales and business development? Um, and I, I, I don't know what I don't know what your comment would be on that, but like you know, my, my, I guess I've got, lots, I've got, I've got about eight different yeah. comments based on Please, the yeah, eleven absolutely. questions you've technically asked me so far. <laughs> so. Well, this, the thing is, is that you know, like I think there's such a strong, powerful application for so many of the roles in the NDIS, and we'll break it apart. But um, but my my general gut instinct says is that there might be the usage of this type of strategy might be best served for roles that are not always necessarily customer facing um, and they might be more internal so an example could be rostering right so um, but before we go on to the breaking apart of the roles do you have any kind of gosh I mean I don't want to come across oh. as not multicultural because I am I literally have worked around the world I love all this stuff and um, but it's just a thought that I want to express you know what, what do you what do you sure. see about that sure 
Yeah, it, look, look, it used to be a common one and it does still come up from time to time. So I suppose there's, um, allow me to answer with both answers and stories and, and give some value there. So first of all, uh, um, any organization that we work with, you're right, a voice role or customer service, customer facing, client facing role may not be where you start. Now, it is amazing how many of our clients do include voice speaking roles, whether it's customer service, sales, recruitment, etc. In their field force or in their staffing force early on, but we don't necessarily recommend it. So I think it's important to go, even if you did have voice speaking, client and customer facing roles, um, it's going to be a small percentage of your organization. Because if we look at any and all org charts of NDIS companies, so much of the work that is done is workflow driven, CRM driven, email driven, process driven, accounts claims driven. So as a result, even if you did um, upend the organization, so many or so few, excuse me, of those roles are gonna be um, voice activated, if you will. Now, the second thing to remember here too, is that, and I gave you an example, I won't mention the organization's name, um, but as I mentioned, you know, our our offices, we have beautifully appointment offices in Manila in the tech hub um, in the IBM building. And there are two large Australian enterprise grade companies above and below us. Now, most of our clients now, we hire their staff to to work from home and we'll talk about that. But obviously for our clients that choose the office space option, um, it's chalk and cheese because typically the experience that you're describing with these call centers uh, because those enterprise enterprise grade organizations, not just Australia, but you know, America, UK, anywhere, um, their mission is different. Their mission is they do need 200 people to fill seats, to put a headset on immediately. Whereas most NDIS businesses that we work with or our other verticals as well, they are looking for bespoke um, options where they will highly train their staff. So here's the thing, no one cares about an accent. I can guarantee you the Australian staff members that are in your client's businesses are going to be Australian, 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 Indian, Australian, Tibetan, Mm -hmm. Australian, Filipino, Australian, Mm -hmm. English, Australian, American. That's what they're gonna be. So here's here's the answer, Chris. As long as your staff are sharp as a tack, enthusiastic as heck, and an expert in their field, mm-hmm. no one cares about the accent. They just want to know that they can be helped. That's so a really that's good point. Answer. I love that. I love that. And also, um, you know, I'll pick up on my own ignorance here. I'll call it out and say, Chris, come on, slap in the face. Like, don't don't think that way. Because you know what I think about when I think about call centers, that's the turn off. Let's go back to the 7 p.m. example where you're trying to get the kids to bed. Yeah, sure. Right. Sure. Um, as I pick up the phone, as soon as I hear 100 other voices in the background of the keyboards yeah. typing yeah. and literally that yeah. call center feel, um, that's the turn off. Right. <laughs> but as yeah. you're saying, if, it's so true. Like Australia is built on immigration. Right. You know, I've got my Pommy accent. I sound like an Englishman. Been there yeah. 12 years yeah. now. No one gives a exactly. darn as long as I know what exactly. I'm talking about. Yeah, correct. And let's face it, I think to draw draw a line under that, that's exactly right. It doesn't matter what your accent is. And I could go on to some really funny examples about I had to get my own psychology right around this issue close to 18 years ago. Um, And I could tell you that story if and when we have time. But ultimately, I think the idea is, yep, as long as your staff know what they're talking about, there will be no problem because Mm -hmm. they will add value. And the second thing is, let's reiterate that so 
little of what we do is provide call center options for our staff. It's, you know, it, our clients, it is all, and we can break into the roles, but it's very much, you know, as I said, processes, accounts, um, email, data entry, all sorts of other, other options that we can start to break into with speaking on the phone, such a small, small part of any organization, no matter what the niche, particularly NDIS. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know what, let's, let's go there. Let's go to roles, right? So like um, recently I was, I was in a contract position of a civil provider down in Wollongong. Um, we had 35 staff and it was 20, 24 seven care, right? So what that meant practically is that, you know, whether it be the 6 a.m. shift, the midnight shift, at all times of day, seven days a week, um, excuse my language, the shit would hit the fan in terms of rostering. Yeah. Um, and what would happen yeah. is if it was, if it was nine to five, we had our rostering manager and she was incredible. Um, she was so good at, at building relationships with all the support workers. Um, you know, we had our WhatsApp groups, you know, the assistant that we use, whether it be text messages, phone calls, whatever she did, somehow 99% of the time, that incredible woman pulled it off. Um, and she, she managed to get staff in to fill that, you know, I'm calling in sick or I'm not turned up to my shift or whatever the scenario was. Now, as incredible as that person was that did the role, and what I'll say is that I think an equally incredible person that's good at, at asset administration systems and relationships and just kind of being on it, like that kind of dynamic plate spinning energy, that skill set, I see, especially with technology, I see zero reason why someone couldn't do the rostering function because it's quite, you know, basically the stuff hits the fan every single day because it's a huge business and the stuff going on. Um, and it, it, it's all the things I described. You just got to pick up the phone, send text messages, call people, book it into the system, change the shift, export the blah, do the timesheet. It, it's very mathematical process. I mean, what, what what's your comments on, on the rostering function? Yeah, so whether it be yeah rostering either all rostering or as you mentioned rostering as a redundancy to existing rock stars that do it, but you you know the organisation needs redundancy if this person's sick, if this person can't work, if it's out of hours, etc. So there's redundancy, and then doing the whole role. But generally, as far as I'm concerned, I always say this strategizing with organisations is unless the role has to be done face to face in Australia, you have the opportunity to work through people partners to do it offshore. That's that's ultimately it. If it can be done face to face and it should be done face to face in Australia, then keep it as onshore. But if it can be done virtually, if it can be done via a CRM, a database, a phone and email, then the option is available for you to um, outsource and offshore. Correct. So that's the that's the quick rule of thumb. Correct. Before we get into any specific roles. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Look, in this, a little bit of a, um, should we say, integration with IT here. So um, mm. real life example, um, I'm also setting up a, a provision business on the Central Coast. I've realized as a business coach that I'd be, a business coach, I'd be stupid not to set up my own NDIS business as well. Um, so when I've, when I've been doing that recently, I've, I've hooked up the phone system. Now, it's normal nowadays that when you get a, quote, landline, it's no longer having Telstra coming around and putting a copper wire into, into your systems, right? It's actually just voice over IP. So it's on the internet, right? So the, the, but mentioning that story, what I did recently, because I'm XIT and I like to think I'm a bit funky, um, is I got my Microsoft Teams as part of my Office subscription, and I integrated that to my VoIP. Um, so what that means, for those that don't have a clue what the heck I'm talking about, <laughs> it means that when someone rings the landline of the business, my Microsoft Teams on both my computer, so I can answer it via the microphone like now, or my mobile phone on the app, 
goes ring, ring. Um, and I can then transfer it to other MS Teams users, be my colleagues and blah, blah, blah. So again, that's just a quick interjection of how you could use technology such as that, which is which should be, in my opinion, if it's not already, part of what you're doing as an IT strap for being a provider. You need to have some kind of thing, Google Workplace, Microsoft Teams, whatever, for communicating between staff professionally. And, and that links directly to this point of rostering, because you can just use that system to make the calls as trackable. You can see what they're doing. You can see the calls they made, who they made it to, the messages that they sent, et cetera. So that, that's just, you know, an IT point of view on things there. Yeah, so Chris, you make a really good point in regards to IT because there, I was doing a, a discussion on stage recently where, you know, this, the speaker that was asking me questions, I was saying, does everyone have to have their systems and their process and also their IT in check? And I'm a huge believer in the concept of grow as you go. All right. So for me, what I find is that, you know, the NDIS um, sector is really being disrupted from those big organizations to small to medium businesses that are trying to add massive value to the demographic and to the market. And that often means they don't have their technology, they don't have their systems, and they don't have their processes in place. And if we wait for that to happen, things are never going to change. It's just too hard. There's too much to do at once. So it's important to have IT in place, exactly like you said, so VoIP. And one of the major questions that happens at at every step of our workflow, when someone hires a staff or multiple staff members, our IT team reaches out to the business owner, the ops person, or the IT person if the NDIS team is big enough, and they'll say, "What would you like on their on their tech? You know, would you like Office 365 so you can have Teams? Do you use Zoom? Do you use WebEx? What CRM are you using? You know, what are all the things that you use so we can load up their tech so that therefore they can work through the Australian credentials mm -hmm. and the Australian server, which also not only is an IT question, but I've also probably uh, foreshadowed a cybersecurity issue that we look to take care of. So yeah, VoIP system is absolutely what's going to happen. As I suggested, most of um, the uh, NDIS businesses, their team, their staff are going to work uh, together with their onshore teams via something like Teams or Zoom or a VoIP phone number. Uh, whatever whatever works. But, you know, we can certainly help organizations with that, you know, um, if and when we work with them. Absolutely. And look, um, you know, as a word of encouragement to people that, you know, if this sounds scary, et cetera, it's great that you guys help them with things like that. But also um, what I know from experience as a coach is that a lot of people, they use Microsoft to do the work emails, but they don't even know that Microsoft Teams is part of the of the subscription and doesn't cost them anything extra. So there's a ton of free resources that you're probably already paying for. And then the only shift that I would say um, that might exist for you know, small to medium providers is the idea that potentially you might want to give a work email address to every single one of your staff, including your support workers. You don't have to, but, it, but again, if you want to go super digital, that could be a way of doing that. But you, also don't, you also don't have to. You could literally have the rostering person offshore you know, using the VoIP system, using Teams, and just calling the mobile phones to your support workers. It works either way. Yeah, and I think whilst that's right, Chris, I think you got to remember because here's the thing, and we're you know just having that beautiful organic. Let's see where this goes, and hopefully people are appreciating as as opposed to it being scripted. Because the more that you don't integrate your offshore team members, the more it's going to feel like that is something that we are doing, not 
the client is doing. So it's really important that could even give way to a conversation on culture mm-hmm. to remember that, you know, at People Partners in particular, our role is to bespoke, recruit, hire and employ amazing team members that only work for the client. So mm-hmm. subsequent, subsequently, they do... Um, you know, they do need to have that email address because they are part of that team. Mm-hmm. A lot of our clients, if they have, you know, multiple staff and some only have one, some have 20, some have a hundred, mm-hmm. but they'll have those branded t-shirts, whatever an Australian team member is doing. If an Australian team member has their the company email address, so should your offshore person. If they have a t-shirt, so should your offshore person. If they have a profile on your website, so should your offshore person. Mm-hmm. You want to try to integrate those two teams and whether it's something like emails, like you said, all the way to the cultural discussions we could have on this or another podcast uh that's definitely the way to integrate and have a seamless scaling company yeah without a doubt without a doubt um yeah they're not yeah they're not on the side they're part of the team um love it um now in terms of other roles as well like you know compliance is a huge area in the ndis and um one thing i always reflect on um when it comes to compliance and you know passing audits quality audits with the commission which is huge, right? There's usually this big terrifying thing that takes up six months of your life and you prepare for it, et cetera. Um, but compliance is, you know, having gone through audits myself, it, it shouldn't be about just the audit. It should be about the ongoing, genuine, continuous improvement of the organization. Um, and having great systems aids that. But one thing about IT strat and companies is that a system is nothing without a driver behind it. So the car doesn't go anywhere without someone driving it. Um, so I think that again, compliance potentially, especially for someone that is you know, a super smart cookie that understands the stuff that can be educated and trained on the NDIS, you can give them a bunch of courses online to understand you know, what the practice standards are, what's the code of conduct. Like you can do all of this stuff and educate people about that. And then you can break it down into things that are the regular things that need to be followed up on. So. You know, an example would be an incident report. So if you get an incident report, an accident happens. Um, if it's a, let's say, a reportable incident, you need to go to the commission and, and, and do certain actions. Uh, even if it's not that, you might do a risk assessment and a follow-up, et cetera. So when I think about the offshore option of compliance, I think I know from, from experience that if you've got a client services manager, a delivery manager, ops manager, GM, whatever it is, they are so swamped in their role um, that maybe having some form of an assistant, you know, a compliance assistant, that's what comes to my mind in particular. What are your thoughts on that? So let me, let me answer a few different things there because that gives rise again, every one of these questions gives rise to conversations we need to have. Um, So first of all, yes, compliance, whether that is someone that is the compliance manager or someone that's the, um, does the grunt work. We've helped clients with both. So similar to any high level role, whether it be an operations manager, a a compliance manager, a marketing manager, having a compliance coordinator, a marketing coordinator, an operations coordinator, someone decides on what needs to be done. They develop the strategy, the needs, they work with their coordinator um, to then do the grunt work. And then once a week, come back, have a huddle, have a meeting and go, these were the 11 actions. How have you gone delivering those? So we've seen that work well. That's my preference. Um, But of course we have clients that, you know, whether it is a compliance manager, marketing manager, ops manager, they do sit 
to the right-hand side of the table uh, with the CEO and the leadership team. So again, it depends on the maturity of the NDIS business and the client we're working with, whether they have leadership roles or whether all leadership roles, which is probably the best way to start, are done onshore. But then we start to look at those support mechanisms. And sometimes they are roles and sometimes they are, are assistance to roles. You know, it's not just the CEO or the GM or the business owner that needs a PA or an EA. Often it's very crucial um, rock stars on the Australian shore that their throughput is getting blocked because, as you said, they're swamped. So therefore, they need assistance. Now, it doesn't have to be if there's a an ego thing about it. It doesn't have to be that they have a PA on they all have this PA. It can just be that there is a coordinator to support that. So, mm. so we're really getting into not only compliance needing attention, and it could be through a high-level compliance manager or a support person to do the grunt work and execute based on the strategy. That also gives rise um, to the concept of replacing roles versus segmenting roles, which I'm a big believer of, because there's going to be opportunities for your audience where they're going, okay, we either can't afford this staff member or these three staff members, or we can't find the talent. And that's mm -hmm. a big thing is, you know, we, we hear both from our clients. Before COVID, it was all about how do we save 70% on our labor, after COVID, it's that still, but how do we scale and access a global workforce? Mm. So, you know, if we if we look at those opportunities, you know, your audience might have roles that are straight swaps. Okay, we can't afford or can't find those three roles here. Let's look here. Or let's segment these five people. They're mm. all swamped. Let's take the bottom 40 to 60% of the admin stuff that doesn't need to be done in any of their roles. Mm. And then let's look to outsource and offshore those. And we will show people how to do that. And then they have a great support team that way too. So there's just so many cool conversations, Chris, to have. There really are. Like, I think without a doubt, I, I, I think I'd love to have you on again, you know, soon in the podcast to talk about the segmentation thing there. Because if you think about an organizational chart for a provider, you've got verticals, right? You know, human resources, rostering, uh, payroll, accounting, um, sales and marketing, compliance, like a bunch of things. And as you, you know, to, to kind of speak to your, what you said there about segmentation, imagine taking the vertical things and, and to, again, to visualize it, you're literally slicing out across perhaps multiple yeah. verticals um, to yeah. create a new role. So, you know, I think that that's, that deserves a, a very in-depth conversation because, what that I'd means there is that like, I guess you don't have to worry as a provider that you've got a whole role for someone. It could be, I know that all of my team, including myself are generally swamped. If we could list the top five things that are swamped on, pick, cherry pick um, the things that could be just done repetitively, systematically, um, or generally could be just trusted to someone else because it's just about throughput. I mean, it doesn't have to be menial tasks. It can be, you know, with the right people in the mm. team, it can be, it can be high power, oh. high octane stuff. Oh, a hundred percent. And I know like in, in our organization, you know, some of the most valuable, if not the most valuable work is is done by our, our team members. There's no way that myself and my co-founder could do everything. And it's a moving feast, you know, mm. as as any organization grows and scales and experiences dips and then grows again, it the the requirements of your workforce. Um, are going to are going to change. So mm. um, I, I did a um, a keynote a little while ago, and that's what I said. I was speaking to business owners, and I was saying, if you don't know where to start, um, just start with a list of all the things that you're not good at, or your staff are not good at, 
or all the things you don't like to do, mm-hmm. your staff don't like to do, um, or that aren't getting done. And there's your list of things that will create roles. So yes. that's a great place to start. It really is. It really is. It's an in-depth conversation. I love this stuff. Um, yeah. So, I mean, look, in, workforce you know, engineering. Oh, workforce, workforce engineering, engineering is what term. we call it. Yeah. Yes. So I'll do. Yes. I'll do a whole session on that. I'd love to because so often in Australia, it happens everywhere, and it, it's not just. Um, you know, but, but, but we notice, and I think it's just through trial and error of myself, my, trial and error of myself and my co-founder having been in business for, you know, over 20 years together and just having, you know, succeeded and failed and succeeded and failed. And we love speaking to organizations about the, co- the concept of duplication. So, or we're now so busy, let's go and get another one of those and another one of those versus, well, is that the best way you should do it? Or should you have narrow swimming lanes? Mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe as you said, that's a whole different topic and we can get into workforce engineering to support your clients and your um, audience at a, at a different stage regarding that perhaps. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Um, well, look, I mean, look already just from meeting you last week, having this conversation today, for those listening, I'm, I'm very happy to be recommending this, you know, people partners BPO because there's just an opportunity here. And what I hope people can see from listening to this is that um, it's a consultation process. It's an opportunity. It's not, it's not a cookie cutter thing where we just say, throw something at it and Hey, you get what you're given. It's something that genuinely adds value to one's individual business. So um, for those of you that, you know, potentially might want to have a further conversation about this, there's a few avenues that can, that can occur, right? So um, Anthony and I um, have agreed that there's going to be some unique offers that it can only be gotten exclusively through Peak Provider, which is my business. Um, so, you know, if you look in the show notes below, um, there will be a page on the Peak Provider website, which is peakprovider.com.au. Um, and uh, you'll be able to find uh, those offers there. But we'll be doing further podcasts on this. And, I, and my gut tells me that we may well be doing some more public facing events as well, where we get to kind of nut this out and really get some providers in the room and have some very meaningful conversations. Yeah. And, and Chris, I think there's two things that you said there that really resonated with me. Number one, and we said this to all of our clients, and I think you had a bit of a joke at this, so I hope I'm allowed to say this phrase uh, here. Mm-hmm. With our clients, it needs to be a good and positive marriage, not a one night stand. So (laughs) there's no, maybe I didn't say it to you because you laughed organically then, but, um, but that's exactly, there there is nothing that can be sold to you from our point of view, because, you know, it is a long-term process of us working out what you need now and, and every stage. And then we work together over the weeks, months, and years to help recruit and employ staff. Some of you listening to this will just need one, two, three staff. Others will have an organization that we need to re-sculpt and re- rework on. And it's a process. So working with you for months and years is where that works. And yeah, 100%, Chris, regarding whether it's supporting your audience this way or some public-facing ones, the big driver for us um, is the fact that you know, the, the NDIS is an emerging market. Mm-hmm. It's an area that's ripe for di- disruption. And because of that, you see all these entrepreneurs and business owners or people coming out of larger groups genuinely going, I think I can add more value to the NDIS community by doing this better. But then like any entrepreneur or business owner, you get stuck in the weeds and you go, yes, I could do it better, but I've got no time or money. So what do you need? Well, you need resources to help you scale. And whether your scale is just 
five staff and that's your size of your organization or whether you're taking over the world and you need hundreds of staff the fact is is that you want to reduce your labor by as much as you can providing providing as much value to your clients as you can so that's going to mean which roles are onshore and which roles need to be outsourced and then obviously accessing a global market to make sure you're not discriminating you're just trying to find the best quality person to do that role to help you know, your client base, that's ultimately. So whatever, you know, we can do or you and I can do to help those businesses, I'm just extremely passionate about changing this landscape. So. Absolutely. Okay, bro, brilliant. Well, look, many podcast episodes to come, I think, for sure. Um, I'm and, excited. Uh, you know, it's really going to be really good. So look, um, once again, to encourage people to kind of go and find out where these exclusive offers will be, it will, it will be via peakprovider.com.au and probably forward slash partners I'd imagine because we have established a you know an ongoing relationship at this point so I think that um let's do that as the next step and um and have further conversations and just to dangle um one final fruit of temptation for providers you know if for any of, of you that have got psychosocial um clients participants that you know may be at risk of absconding self-harm or you know literally um having things that are going on on a 24 7 basis the thing I want to mention is that a lot of providers literally can't afford to have um, a 24-7 on-call staff function. Um, so I think that when it comes to having stuff covered by an on-call function, such for those types of things over the weekends, et cetera, or non-office hours, et cetera, literally having different time zones involved and also having the business case from a, a dollar point of view, you know, could be a very, very compelling uh, case indeed so let's unpack that further in, in further conversations anthony and anthony one. rice from, yeah perfect you know from people partners bpo thank you for coming on the podcast today it's been very very insightful yeah it was my pleasure i can't wait to add more value again soon good on you mate we'll speak soon cheers